This episode of Tales from the Backlog is brought to you by listeners like you. Some personal heroes of mine like Chris Nelson, the Top 3 Podcast crew, Zolgeek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Jill, Kieran, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., and many more have gone to patreon.com slash Jackson. Kick me a few bucks to support the shows that we're doing here. I appreciate all of them very much, and you, listener, can be just like them. Once again, that address was patreon.com slash Jackson. Any help and support is always appreciated, and you will have my undying love and respect. On to the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about a game we played. My guest today is a friend of the show returning from um, our Hitman series that we're working on together, professional interrogator Scott Danielson. Welcome back. Hey, man. Good to be here. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah, of course. Uh, like I said, Scott's been a guest um, on both Hitman episodes of the show, Hitman 2016 and Hitman 2 and Hitman 3 in the future when we... Forthcoming. <laughs> yeah, forthcoming, yeah. Uh, but we decided to talk about a different game today. It, it is Silicon Dreams, colon, Cyberpunk Interrogation, which is a text-based interrogation game developed and published by Clockwork Bird, which is a two-person studio for PC, Mac, and Linux in 2020. Um, Elevator pitches for Silicon Dreams, if you don't know what this game is. I have a real simple elevator pitch here. It is Blade Runner meets Papers, Please. So Scott, I took the easy one. What what elevator pitch do you have? I was going to say, I think that that's like, it doesn't get much more concise and distilled than that. I think it kind of nails it. Uh, (laughs) So I decided to go in the opposite direction with a little bit of a wordier... uh, A familiar dystopian future narrative experienced from a not-so-familiar perspective as it unfolds over a series of lovingly crafted conversational puzzles. Yes, exactly. And this is um, not a very long game. My playthrough took me five hours. Is that about yours, too? Yeah, (laughs) excuse me. Yeah, I think my total time was closer to seven. Um, We've talked, I leave my game paused a lot. I also feel like I, I spent a lot of time reviewing information like mid encounter. So I think some of the encounters I probably spent more time with than like was necessarily intended, but I think five or six hours is is probably a solid estimate. Yeah. Not a super long game, Uh, kind of a breezy little game here, not breezy in some of the things that you're doing, but as far as playtime goes, uh, the spoiler policy for this episode, um, as Scott said in the elevator pitch, this is a game that is text-based, conversation-based, story-based, decision-based. Lots of things that are easy to spoil. So we are going to talk about how this game works. We're going to set up the story, talk about how it's delivered, because it is delivered in a pretty interesting way. But we're not going to spoil what goes on in the story until the spoiler section, as is customary on the show. So for Silicon Dreams, I want to start with our kind of histories with the game. And before we start, I do want to say that the developer, James, one of the two developers, reached out and provided us with codes for this game. So thank you, James. And I guess I'll give my history first before I kick it to you, Scott. 
Um, cause I know that part of the reason you played this is cause I asked you to come on and talk about it. But, uh, for me, I actually saw this game on a YouTube channel that I, I really like called first five. This is the second game on the show that I've discovered through that channel. That's made it to the show. The other one was unsighted and it was on one of those like indie hidden gem, uh, videos. Uh, that channel does a lot of videos like that. Um, especially this is a bit tangential, but they do a, a couple of videos about games to play from those itch.io benefit bundles, like the Ukraine bundle and the racial justice bundle. So if you have those bundles and you're overwhelmed, I recommend checking out first five. It's a good channel. Um, but I, I saw that video. I saw the, the pitch for this game, the papers, please meets blade runner. And I had recently just watched blade runner for the first time. So I was like, Oh shit put this on the the wish list and it sat on my wish list for a couple of years because that's what I do. I, I put games on my wish list. So I remember them and then most of them are still there. But like I said, uh, one of the developers reached out, provided us with codes. So I figured, Hey, this is, this is the time to play it. Now, Scott, part of your reason to play this is that I said, Hey, I've got a code if you want to join me, but I have a feeling you would have said no if you weren't interested in the pitch. So what about the pitch interested you? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think I, 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 I mean, so I was not aware of this game at all uh, prior to you uh, informing me about it. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I know we, you and I have talked about Papers, Please in the past. I actually didn't know that you uh, had only recently seen Blade Runner for the first time. But <laughs> yeah, we've had plenty of other conversations about loving, you know, sci-fi genre media mm -hmm. and cyberpunk type stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think I've even talked about some of those kinds of games, you know, off off podcast. So I think it was it. Uh, I think if it was not a, a game that seemed interesting to me, I, I you're right. I, I probably would have uh, passed and I appreciate being given that option. But um, <laughs> from pretty much from the get go, you know, colon cyberpunk interrogation. I was like, yeah, this this seems like my jam. It's kind of thoughtful, mm -hmm. a lot of reading, thinking. Um, I, I really like, you know, uh, narrative games that that kind of put you in positions to make tough calls, even though it uh, absolutely makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, I find them to, to leave me feeling very satisfied after finishing them, <laughs> um, even if, uh, even if there is some of that discomfort. So um, uh, from the get go, it, it, it looked like it was right up my alley and, and uh, you know, echoing you. Thanks again to the, to the dev for, for the codes. Um, it, I had, a, I had a lot of fun playing this one. Yeah. So that's a good transition to, talk about some opening thoughts here before we dive in. Um, that elevator pitch, Blade Runner meets Papers, Please, was super interesting to me. That's why it went on the wish list and got on my radar in the first place. And I, I think this game fulfills that elevator pitch pretty well. Um, I enjoyed the interrogation part of things, like the Blade Runner uh, style stuff. And I enjoyed the Papers, Please style like pressures that are put on you as you're making your decisions through the game. Uh, so uh, I think this game is also treading in some well-worn territory sometimes, but you do have a really unique perspective on those things. So I came out of this like really, really positive. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. It is, um, it, it, it makes no, uh, attempt to, to conceal its, uh, Blade Runner inspiration and, and like do Android's dream of electric sheep inspiration. Um, mm -hmm. but I think, uh, 
I think it ends up feeling okay in that regard. And, and like we said, the, the it, it puts you in, in sort of a, um, it gives you a, a, a seat in the theater to experience this story that I think a lot of the things that uh, have so thoroughly trodden this territory before have less often done. Hell yeah. So let's listen to some music. When we come back, we'll dive into the story. So in Silicon Dreams, this takes place in the year 2066 in San Jose, and you play as D0527, who is an Android interrogation specialist, working for this big Android corporation, Android production corporation called Kronos, Um, and your job is to interrogate other Androids issued by Kronos, they're Kronos Androids, that are displaying kind of problematic behaviors and you are tasked with talking to androids who've maybe been exhibiting emotions that they should not be capable of exhibiting or behaviors that are problematic or behaviors that are violent sometimes. Um, and sometimes in the kind of Blade Runner fashion, trying to determine whether something is someone is an android or a person. And that happens fairly early and it happens a couple times uh, throughout the game at least one time trying to remember without scrolling all the way down to my notes. Yeah. So I was actually going to, I was going to mention something on that. Like I, I tried not to look at too much uh, in the way of other reviews of this game um, mm-hmm. prior to this conversation. Um, but I, I, I did just do kind of like a surface level, like uh, scoured to see, you know, generally how people uh, other, other people who had reviewed it had received it. And one thing I noticed is that like, that is the kind of shorthand that people jump to is it's like the, the, um, what do they call it? The Voigtkampf, uh, machine in Blade Runner. Right. And like, Mm -hmm. it, it definitely, it like fits that tone, but like, I don't think it's, it's an unfair, uh, spoiler or anything like that to say that like, it's not predominantly a game about determining whether or not, someone you're talking to is a human or an android right like yeah. that does happen but it is not like it's not all that right it, it's mostly interrogating other androids to determine the cause of some behavior that is uh, not intended or something like that so it, it's it's it, it's interesting you might see the term interrogator and you might think that you're like you're part of the police or something like that and you're not. You work for this company, and you're kind of checking up on the product, making sure that it's functioning the right way. Most of like an insurance adjuster role <laughs> than it is like a law enforcement role, right? Um, and so, but it, but I think what that like to lead out of that, like what is important about that is that it makes uh, it opens up for a lot more complicated scenarios and a lot more complicated decisions. Right. So now all of a sudden it's not just like, are they human or not? But it's also like, you have to decide based on the information that you can uncover whether or not you think what this person or, or Android did was wrong or, and, and what, you know, um, consequences they deserve to face or not face because of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is, um, like this is your job. You're making judgment calls on what's going on. Um, but you are not 
like Judge Dredd here. You're not, you don't have the final say in what's going on. You're filling out a report based on your interrogation. So as you play, you're going to talk to lots of subjects. Um, uh, number one, about the reason that a complaint was filed. Uh, talk to them about their history. Um, talk to them about their memories, their emotions. And a lot of what you're doing is paying attention to how the androids feel about what's going on. So they're going to give their side of the story uh, for whatever the complaint was. Let's say that there's a complaint that um, an android was menacing a person or that it, you know, um, attacked a person or something like that. You're going to try and get their side of the story about what was going on. Then you make the call on what to do afterwards. Yeah. And I think this is, this is maybe a good uh, a place where it would be worth kind of talking a little bit about like, how the interface works and how you experience the game. Um, so you yeah. kind of like the game begins and, and it, the entire thing is sort of experienced from like a first person point of view um, at, of your character uh, through like kind of scenes that like fade to black and then, and then open back up at the beginning of each encounter. Right. And mm -hmm. for a lot of those, you're like for the, for the interrogations themselves, you're sitting at a desk and you have like a, a, a kind of a hollow screen like yeah. monitor uh mm -hmm. that has you know is logging the conversation you're having and is how you kind of um navigate the dialogue options and stuff like that um and has kind of like a recap of of what the case is and what you're here to to find out but then on the other on the right side of the screen there's like a couple of um like um, like screens and uh, like camera screens right and, yeah. and that give you visibility into the room where your subject is and like the art style is not super complex um in fact i, I kind of I think one one of the testaments to the writing of this game is that everything else is so stripped down that the writing like kind of has to carry it, and mm -hmm. I think does so pretty well. Um, yeah. I think the writing the writing uh, had a had a heavy load to bear and, and did so well. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so you're kind of there is this this inherent distance between you and the subject, but at the same time, like part of this interface is like in uh, like an emotional readout. Um, so you have kind of like six different emotions. I think the fear, anger, sadness, joy, joy, surprise, surprise and disgust, maybe. Yep. Yep. And like you're kind of monitoring their emotional reaction to the things that you're saying and the things that they're saying um, mm -hmm. and kind of trying to, to incorporate that into how you are trying to untangle, you know, what's going on with each with each encounter. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, to to touch on the writing for a second. I totally agree that you you're not getting a lot of other visual information about the uh the subject. You've got a screen that shows their eyeballs so you can like see if their pupils dilate or something like that. I never found that to be the most useful. Um the emotional readouts are useful to see, of course, but it's it's just looking at levels of emotion from 0 to 100 or something like that. So that's just information all the personality and everything is coming through in the writing. And I think they did a good job of uh, not only making the writing interesting, but also making the androids distinguishable from each other in the way that they speak. Or like, if you showed me writing from the game right now, I couldn't tell you who said it. I might have a list of like three or four possibilities, but there are different, you know, classes of androids. So you've got one that's like a, a streamer and it's like, you know, kind of an online personality. And so that writing is different from 
like a security android or something like that. Yeah, somebody who cares for an el- for an elderly person or something yes. like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that stuff is really good. I really enjoyed that. So that interrogation um interface what you're doing is you're mostly picking questions from this list of topics uh kind of like mind map style and then reading how they respond but also paying attention to their emotions uh when they respond. So at the beginning of each interrogation, you get kind of a, a a dossier and a report to fill out that has specific things that you need to try to elicit from them. So speaking about emotions, like, of course, you need to find out information. Like, let's let's say this android did something bad. You need to find out why. But also, they're going to ask you questions about, uh, like, can this android feel joy? Because this model is not supposed to feel joy. Uh, maybe that's a, a bad example. I think they can all feel joy. But like this model is not supposed to be able to feel anger. Can they feel anger? If they can, there's a problem. So you need to try to elicit anger from the android. So it's not just like a police interrogation trying to find literal just information. You're also trying to provoke emotional responses out of them too. Yeah, it's definitely like an like an emotional manipulation thing, which like most of the time doesn't feel good. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And, you know, as as you as you play, uh, you know, you'll you get you get access to other ways um, of of provo- provoking those kinds of emotions too, right, where like um, you can start to control things inside of the interrogation room where like you some, mm-hmm. you have a little button that will like engage or disengage. Uh, like the the wrist restraints, um, which right. you can use to like induce fear or whatever. And so, like, if you ask a question, that the interface will kind of um, you know let you know if uh, the the subject is is kind of hiding, like has more to say on this, but isn't in the right emotional state to do so, and mm-hmm. give you a little hint of how of what emotional state uh, you might try to provoke in order to get them to open up. Right. but is not necessarily super clear on like how you do that. So you kind of have to like pay attention to what is it that angers them and like follow lines of questioning about that. Right. Um, if that's what you're trying to to provoke or whatever. Right. So you go through your interrogations, um, you try to fill out your report. There's usually like different goals on the report. You need to find out some information. You usually have to figure out something about their emotional capabilities. And then you also usually need to find out if their kind of internal systems are running the way they should. Is is their memory functioning correctly, et cetera, et cetera. So once you have all that, you can fill out your report and then you make your judgment at the end, which is to either decommission, kill them, send them to maintenance, which wipes their memory and then sends them back out into the workforce or just release them. So these decisions are difficult in themselves, but there's another complicating factor, which is that for most of these interrogations, your company, Kronos, has some kind of goal from the interrogation too. So this is where that papers please thing comes in, because you are obviously going to try to do what's right, but you have pressure from the company to do what they want you to do, and that doesn't always line up. Yeah, so that so you respond to these questions in like like multiple choice form, right? Like the you know there'll be a field and you click it, and there's a little drop down, and mm-hmm. you get to choose from a certain number of options. Which 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they only show like they're not all visible like at the beginning. Like a lot of times a, a possible answer will only show up once you've covered that ground in the interrogation. I think so, yeah. And then you make this uh you make this recommendation. Uh and then when you like confirm your your selection, the encounter ends and the screen goes to black and then it opens back up and there's like like a almost like a post interrogation uh like scene after each one that mm-hmm. kind of has you back in like your sleeping quarters or whatever and you pick up this little tablet and it shows you kind of like how you did and yeah you you have a company score which can be docked points or awarded points i guess um for every incorrect or correct uh like answer to the questions but yeah. then also like a much bigger usually by a much bigger amount um based on whether or not your final like judgment is in line with what Kronos wanted or or would have done based on the information available mm-hmm. um and so you're kind of con- you end up kind of constantly walking this line like in papers please where like you you if you let your company score fall too, too low like you're an android you are also you know at risk of right. ending up <laughs> on the scrap heap as i think they call it a few times um and so you're kind of constantly trying to like do the right thing while also not like get decommissioned yourself and it's a really like it's a really interesting line to walk. Yeah, I, I found it really interesting, and it, it did put that kind of fear in me as I was playing to not cross Chronos. Like I definitely played probably the first half of the game pretty straight laced, like good employee, because I was kind of afraid of what would happen. And then I I got to a point eventually where I realized my company score is high enough that I can experiment for a couple of you know people and, and see what happens. Afford to go rogue. Yeah. For for a couple people, and then if it drops down too low, then maybe I'll reassess. So I, I actually don't know what happens if your score gets super low. Like it's out of one hundred, and mine never got below like sixty five or something like that. So this is interesting. I think this is where our game plays like uh, well, the first way in which our game our playthroughs differed greatly. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I don't have. I think a ton of like super uh, harsh criticisms of, of this game. But I think um, one of the things I, I, once I kind of got a few encounters in and realized like, okay, I understand what I'm trying to balance here, uh, you know, to invoke, you know, the the kind of template we've been referring to papers, please. um, And of course, papers, please had the luxury of, of their, of each encounter being much shorter. Like they're just like rapid fire. Whereas like, you're going to spend 20 to 30 minutes uh, on each of the encounters in Silicon Dreams. Right. But I almost felt like the first few of them didn't, uh, I wasn't given enough time or um, enough time to like get to settle into a loyalty to Kronos. And so like my first few like got me some negative scores. And so I spent like the first <laughs> half of the game pretty low. Did you? Okay. Which is kind of how I, 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 which re- I was looking through like the full list of decisions I, I made as I played through uh, earlier and realized that like it, it kind of maps out kind of funny because of that, because of the things that I had to do later in the game to avoid like getting decommissioned. Uh-huh. But um, something I d- I'd never had access to. There's a, there's, I mentioned that button that activates the wrist restraints. Right. There was another button that I, I got the impression kind of let you either play music or change the lighting or something. Yeah. It, um, so what what Scott's referring to is you can kind of manipulate the environment to try to draw out certain emotions. So if you want to induce fear in the subject, 
You can turn the lights off and it will play like scary monster sounds. Um, if you want to elicit joy, it will put on this nice, this nice lighting and play like bird sounds in the background are like more peaceful. And I didn't know that it was tied to your company rating. So you didn't have access to this the whole time. Nope. Like, okay. so every time I'd hover over it, it would just be like, raise your company score to, to unlock this huh. feature or something like that. And I don't think, I, you know, I, I kind of, I ended up kind of like riding the first half of the game pretty low and then kind of doing some weird stuff in the middle just to like regain some stability. And then kind of, you know, as I swooped towards the end, probably did some things that Kronos wasn't too keen on. Mm. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't think there was ever an encounter where I had access to it. Interesting. So you felt the pressure then to increase your company score and I'm guessing make some decisions that you thought may not have been the right thing to do, but what you had to do then? Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, it's less that like the, the, I think what felt uncomfortable to me was less the fact that I was, I was then put in a position to make those hard choices. Cause I think that's kind of what the game's all about, but like, in in papers please um i i it's been a while since i played it so like you know don't add tales from the backlog on this but um <laughs> I, I was i was given more time to settle into the expectations that came with what the game initially presented itself as before mm -hmm. uh the kind of twist reveal of like oh there's something bigger going on here came mm -hmm. in to complicate those decisions whereas like in this one like right away i felt like empathy for the first like uh, android uh, you're very for the very first android that you like um have to interrogate it, mm -hmm. it's not a complex it's not a particularly complex uh like emotionally complex encounter um to start you off to its credit but like it appealed enough to me the human player's empathy that I was like, yeah, like all like clear. I I understand that Kronos wants me to like do this thing, but I'm going to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And I think in hindsight, like if I I don't know, and maybe that maybe it's a me thing, right? Like maybe I, I didn't suspend my disbelief enough or whatever. But like right off the bat, I just I I felt no obligation to do right by Kronos, right? Until I discovered that like my 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 life was on the line. Right. I think that, you know, that's an interesting way for the game to kind of set you on the track that your character would probably be feeling like they need to be on too. Yeah. And I guess, you know, maybe if, if there had been what I, what I'm suggesting here, where like you have more time to settle into that, then like maybe our playthroughs wouldn't have been as dramatically different as they I think are. Right. Um, so maybe it is a good thing that like you kind of are forced to pick a side right away for better or for worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like in in my playthrough, like I said, I spent most of the game in Kronos's good standing until kind of until the end when it was kind of too late for my company rating to drop too much. And there were a couple times like kind of mid-game where I was like, "Oh, I've I've got some breathing room here. I can kind of do what I want to on this one." And it dropped my rating down, but it didn't like it's not like you lose 60 points for one interrogation. So sometimes maybe I felt like I had too much leash, but maybe it was because I was such a, a loyal soldier for the first half of the game that I do think it's interesting that you tried to like express yourself at the beginning of the game. And Kronos was like, no, you don't. You're going to fucking fall in line. 
Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know, I, I there's a very I'm realizing there's a very f- a kind of amusing way in kind of a morbid way um, that that came back to bite me that I think is probably best saved for like after spoiler wall. But sure, sure. But yeah, you're right. It is like there there was something uncomfortable to me about the way that I always felt like I was understanding how to manipulate the game systems like one step behind where I could actually use that knowledge. Uh-huh. Um, and the the longer I've like sat with it, the more that started to feel like actually maybe the the point, like kind of the uh, like a uh-huh. good design decision <laughs> where it's like ah, because that's how real life works, right? Like it's I think that I think the 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 con the design of the conversation of the dialogue trees um, is going for a very like it, it doesn't want within an encounter it doesn't want you to think of it like a game like a narrative maze like they want you to feel like you're talking to a real human right and mm-hmm. like so they so when you use a dialogue option you don't get to reuse it like if you click on it again it'll just take you to the transcript where that answer is yeah and yep there are sometimes uh dialogue options that are just different phrasings of a question that the uh that that your subject has already answered and if you ask them that they will respond like that they'll say like i didn't we already talk about this like yeah. And, you know, maybe if you got to piss them off, that's one way to do it. But right. There's um, there's also a couple of times when like it, this isn't like a, a dialogue tree in like a um, an RPG, like a Planescape Torment or Divinity Original Sin, where you get to exhaust every single option. Uh, a lot of times that's a not necessary, but b not possible. A lot of times, because if if I I found sometimes where I would go down some route of conversation and I would have, you know, a branching conversation option. If I pick one, then we'll exhaust that end or that end of the branch or whatever. And then that conversation's over. And then if I tried to revisit it to see what they say to the other thing, you can't. Like you said, it will take you back to that transcript. So you are actually picking how to respond to what they say. You know, if you want to be a dick, you can be a dick. If you want to take their side, you can take their side. But you can't often do both of those. So there's a little bit of role-playing within those conversation trees as well. Yeah, and I think this is this is one of the things that I think the writing does really, really well in this game is like a point of friction that I feel like I've felt in a lot of like dialogue-heavy games is... Um, when so like there are a couple of ways that they can present you with options they can like sometimes uh the thing you click on right if they show you like three different options and you click on one sometimes what you click on is the text that you click on is like the dialogue that your character will say it'll be like mm-hmm. in quotes and and then you'll click it and then your character will say exactly those words out loud right and and sometimes it'll be like kind of a a uh <laughs> interpretation of what they might say or a shorthand of what they might say. And sometimes they'll literally say like, be mean, be nice, be like, and you know, that's very helpful, but not super immersive. And so I feel like sometimes it's really hard to write dialogue choices uh, that are clear about how they'll be received before you Uh click on them. Yeah, because I, I there like there's nothing worse in a dialogue game than the feeling <laughs> of thinking you're clicking on the nice option and then your character says it like an asshole and you're like, yeah, Wait, exactly. It's like I, I was going to click like you click like, what did you mean by that? And your character's like, what the fuck? Exactly. What did you mean by that? <laughs> what do you mean? Right. It's just like, oh, that's not what I meant to do. And then like, especially in the kinds of games where you can't 
walk it back or go explore the other option, which this definitely isn't, uh, you feel like you got like trapped into a, a route you didn't want to go down. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that in this game, when you read the dialogue options that you're going to click, they are by and large like um, they end up hitting the way you thought they were going to. Yeah. Or at least so that's how I found it. Yeah, I always felt like I knew, like you said, I knew exactly what I was going to ask. And like you said, also, if I was paying attention to the subject, I had a good understanding of how they were going to react to that. Now, sometimes they, you know, they don't react the way you expect because they're, you know, it's realistic. It's good writing. Sometimes you ask a question that seems innocent and it it brings up some memory that you haven't explored yet and they get pissed off or they get surprised or they get sad or something like that. Uh, so it really was fun to kind of puzzle out not only how do I get them to trust me so they'll answer the questions, but how do I elicit the right emotions so I can fill out my report? Um, and then if you are role-playing as well, like, do I want to be a hard ass about this or how can I get this done while still being empathetic and respectful because that's how I tend to role play. Yeah. I think one of the, I mean, right off the bat, the, like the fact that the game wants you to make those choices is obvious because, um, you know, at the beginning of each encounter, you kind of have a, a, a period of time before like the conversation has started where you get to like review the dossier and look at the questions that you're going to have to answer or whatever. And then you choose, like you click the button that like, establish link let's start the conversation and i think almost every single one presents you like with the opportunity to say the first thing and gives you a choice of like you know this is why you're here you're in trouble or like good uh, good afternoon mr jackson like how do you know why you've been brought in today like you get to and it's it's (laughs) purely like a tonal thing and i'm like it probably influences that encounter but like it is mostly a choice about how about the kind of in uh interrogation uh android you want to be yeah so during the interrogations we've kind of alluded to this but depending on how you approach things um different conversation topics will come up uh there will be things locked off to you if you don't gain their trust or sometimes it's like uh, it will say something like uh this person does not understand the gravity of what's going on they're not going to tell you the truth So maybe you think I I need to scare them so that they'll tell me the truth. If you don't do those things, you'll get locked out of some things. You might miss information. And then depending on what your judgment was at the end, your recommendation, there are many different outcomes for how these conversations and interrogations can go. It shows you a map afterwards, which I I understand was patched in a little bit later into the game's life. Uh, so if anyone's played Detroit Become Human, where it sh- it literally shows you the branching paths, um, it's kind of like that, right? It's more of a mind map in this, and it will show you the subjects that you touched on in the conversation, as well as lots of blank things that you apparently didn't get to. And then it will show you the result of your interrogation. And I, I want to say that there's like six for each one, if I'm remembering all the little uh, results. Yeah, close to it. There might be a sum with a few, uh, a couple fewer, but yeah, many of them have a lot. There's quite a few and more than I would have expected uh, from, like we said, a, a two person team and writing out all these branching paths with different results that feel like they feel realistic enough to me that I appreciate 
the writing and planning and logistics that go behind like mapping all this stuff out um because this is not david cage with all the the financial backing that he has this is a two-person indie studio so i i came to appreciate that and like when we get into the spoiler section i'm interested to hear how some of your interrogations went and then the larger plot that's going on can also go in different ways i think so i i'll be excited to dig into that a little bit later yeah i think it's 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 interesting noting that there are like five six and maybe in some cases more option uh potential outcomes because um like we talked about earlier uh when you fill out your report there you only have like three recommendation choices like you can only choose like so you would i think like at first glance that would make you assume okay well there there are maybe three possible outcomes for each encounter which means that like the other outcomes like are a product of those combined with something that feels squishier that happens earlier in the conversation or maybe even earlier in the game Mm -hmm. uh and i think one of the things that's interesting about the the way that these dialogue trees are structured is that you during the encounter you you don't necessarily know when thing when a, a a narrative path is closed to you i mean you do when like you ask a question and you don't you're not able to get a response because of emotional state and then you're not able to induce that emotional state before the end of the encounter right you know that you've missed something there but like it's not like there are like you're shown blanks during the conversation so you know how much information there is to uncover right um and it's not until after each encounter that you like actually see what things that there were that to find that you missed yeah that was always a shock to me seeing that map at the end of every encounter and being like wow i thought i was really thorough with this and there is so much that i didn't see here Mm -hmm. So this game has a lot of difficult decisions to make, if you can guess from the way we've been describing uh, what's going on here. So not only do you have difficult decisions just in the interrogation, sometimes someone will have done something bad and you know in your heart they did something bad. And if you let them go, they might do something bad again, but they are a very likable person, uh, for example. Or... There will be times when Kronos says, uh, we want you to decommission this android. We need you to make a report that like, justifies decommissioning this android. But you talk to them and they didn't do anything wrong. Uh, or they did do something wrong, but it wasn't their fault. Because uh, again, these are machines. So maybe there's a mechanical issue that caused them to do something. Lots of really difficult decisions throughout this game. and. I think that this number one is a testament to the writing that they write such like realistic, mostly likable characters. There are some that are not super likable, but like you're still, you still need to do your job. You can't just like kill all the ones you don't like. Uh, You might get in trouble for that. So lots of difficult decisions. Um, (laughs) 
I, I would say more often than not, I came out of an interrogation not feeling great about how it went, kind of regardless of what I chose to do, what I recommended. Yeah, no, I, I think I would, I would say the same. I think that they're, they are all, like there, is almost, there are almost none of them that allow you to get out of them without doing something that you aren't super into, whether that is the final decision or just like having to be a little mean to uncover some information or, you know, whatever, (laughs) like pretty much like not one of them is just like a a nice, pleasant conversation. And then you both go on your way and live. (laughs) Exactly. There's a, like some of them, like your report will say, can your subject feel fear and disgust at the same time? So you need to prod them in a way to elicit fear and disgust at the same time. And if you're talking to someone who you like, you enjoy talking with them. Again, good writing. I enjoy talking with these characters. Um, I feel like an asshole trying to elicit fear and disgust in some of these characters. So you're right. It's not just the final decision that gets you there. It's it's the um, all the little decisions you make along the way, too. Yeah. And I, and I think there's, and I don't know if this is an intended like mechanical consideration, but I felt like, um, you know, like we mentioned earlier, so when you go to fill out your report, uh, you know, the, the options you, you respond to each question with, um, options from a drop down menu, but the options that are visible are dependent on what you, how your interrogation went. And mm-hmm. I started to to wonder if there was like a a strategy in you know in managing your your kind of conflicting obligations or or motivations um in tactfully navigating the conversation so as to not create a record of of particular information um you know what I mean like if you if you know that this person did a thing but like you want to let them go and so you you can't have it on paper that they did a thing. Could you get away with not putting them in a position to say that letting them go? And, but then also, you know, I felt like it was sometimes hard to tell which of those things would come back to bite you in the ass because in your, in your Kronos, like post interrogation report, you know, when you're docked incorrectly for things, uh, sometimes it's like, you know, sometimes you uncovered the information that, that, proves that your your report answer was incorrect and so you're going to get doc points for that but sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's kind of implied that like chronos does some kind of follow-up investigation to confirm your answers or whatever and so right i couldn't tell if there actually were places where i could like strategically get people like like steer people away from admitting certain things for a, a certain benefit um and and not have it come back to bite me in the ass but it, it was an interesting kind of complication to at least think about yeah, I I kind of got the feeling because you like you said you do get graded afterwards. I kind of got the feeling that you are like you can try to tell little white lies on your report, but it felt like Kronos was going to catch it. So, I I didn't it didn't really occur to me to try doing that when I wanted to lie on the report, I just lied on the report. Um yeah. and it, it it gets into now this was going to be one of my like critiques of the game from my experience, but since you tanked your company rating early on, it kind of um, solves the critique. But I, I found this game to be really easy to stay in the good graces of Kronos, despite spending the last half of the game kind of freelancing a little bit, doing what I felt like um, while still kind of 
playing the game with the parts of the report that didn't matter, you know, like, yeah. so if they would say, I'll get my easy points by saying, yes, the subject can feel anger. But when it comes to why did they do this thing? I will, I will lie about that. Uh, using information from the reports, but it's not the real answer for why they did it. Um, so I was going to say this game was too easy. And like, since, since this is such an easy comparison to Papers, Please, that game's really hard to stay on top of everything. This one's a lot easier. And I think it's, I think it was kind of intentional to try and get people to the end of the game. Like I'm, I don't know if it's even possible to fail this. Well, I think I, I don't know if I know the answer to that question, but I do think that like I had a negative company score experience, like a, a poor company score experience that you maybe didn't have at some point in the game. And right. I don't, you let me know when the right time to talk about that would be. But, um, <laughs> but I think that like, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, right? Where like, while I was playing it, I felt like I wanted the, the sort of escalation curve of the difficulty of the decisions that you had to make to mirror that of papers, please a little bit more than it felt like it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now talking with you and hearing your experience, I kind of can understand why that first encounter was so easy for me to go against Kronos wishes and like immediately begin incurring like negative company reputation. Uh, uh, because if it hadn't been, I think, regardless of how I played, I would have ended up having that more of an experience like yours, right? Where like, yeah, I was able to build up so much company reputation that like it might then the choices matter less. Whereas like, because I succumbed to my own uh, human empathy, my player empathy on that very mm -hmm. first one, I had I felt like the game was a lot harder. Yeah, uh, going through it. That makes sense. I mean, it works the other way for me too. Um, this is something that happens in real life when people are thought well of uh, in the company, they get more leash than people who are brand new or people who have made mistakes in the past or people who they just don't like for whatever reason. So it's interesting that we had both experiences here and I'm happy that that um, turned out that way. I mean, I'm I don't wish a, a bad or frustrating experience on your part playing. I don't even know if it was frustrating, was it? <laughs> I think I've, I've 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 used phrases something like this uh, a couple times already. But I think what I what I have come to realize is that what I what felt frustrating, what I thought felt frustrating, like when I first played through it, um, upon finishing it and sitting with it and reflecting on it, I think it was the right kind of frustration, right? Like it was yeah. intended frustrate. Like it, I think at the t like when I first started playing through it, I was like worried that I was feeling frustration over like mechanics that weren't quite landing as intended or something like that. But mm -hmm. now in hindsight, I feel like I was actually experiencing the frustration the game wanted me to be experiencing. Interesting. Which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think that's a hard, it's a, it's a hard thing to re frustration's a hard thing to recommend to people. Right. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Does it make it a good thing if if it take you know once you finished it and reflect on it, you feel okay about it? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually know. this I this is going to be the topic of a, a future topic episode um, on the podcast about the value of frustration, being lost, tedium, things that are not fun. 
uh, in video games. Uh, so if if we're, everyone's interested in that, stay tuned. That's <laughs> Heck coming. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I had kind of the other, what I, I also feel like was an intended experience where I start out towing the company line, being a good soldier, doing my job as they tell me to do my job. And then as I go, I start to realize like, hey, you know, this is real shit. Like you're sometimes literally sealing people's fate here, whether they're innocent or maybe they're guilty, but not as guilty as it looks like they are. So I started to have doubts about how I was approaching some of these interrogations. And I look at my notes from the first, you know, handful and I'm thinking like, man, I could have done that differently. Um, I had the leash and I didn't realize that I had it or like, maybe I did the wrong thing here. I made the wrong decision. And I, I really value that kind of experience too. So I feel like both sides of our experience are intended depending on what path you take early in the game, whether you choose to rebel a little bit or whether you choose to be a, a good company boy like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's, 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 an, it's interesting that that feeling is so equated with like a, um, I don't know, like almost a blindness because the, the game you don't ever your perspective never changes like you're always the the entire story is experienced from behind that desk and in front of those monitors and mm -hmm. so like again this is a place where the writing excels is that like it it fleshes out like a world out there out, outside this building that you're sitting in and never get to see the outside of mm -hmm. uh that you feel is like real but it also kind of comes to life in these in these conversations too yeah 100% and so you will start to like through the conversations start to get little inklings of things going on in the outside world. And we'll talk about those in the spoiler section, of course, but there are kind of greater things going on. You, and it manages to juggle teasing out that greater story while also keeping you focused on the reason that you're talking to that particular person again the writing is just fantastic uh really well planned out game i feel like from that perspective too and then like the minute to minute writing is really enjoyable and effective definitely definitely it, you you're you're right in that like the dialogue uh definitely keeps you engaged in the encounter but like you always have that back burner that's simmering about what this greater story is that's going on cuz mm -hmm. you know i mean We've hinted at it. I don't think it's any secret that something unfolds and like it just it just does such a good job of like drip feeding you information about your role in it. And so yeah. like you're always kind of guessing at like like how much you can influence it and how you want like how you think you want to influence it and how you what choices you have before you and how they might help you have that influence on it. And so like it's. Yeah, in in hindsight, I think the way it keeps you in the dark about certain things actually is is a lot more clever than I think I gave it credit for during the playthrough. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this conversation's teasing out a lot of like things that have just now you know fallen into place in my head, uh, for sure. There are a couple other things that I want to mention uh, before we get into talking about spoilers and stuff. This is it's like kind of a criticism. It's kind of unavo unavoidable. I feel like. But sometimes they'll reference things that happened earlier or other. So you'll you'll interrogate a character and then like six characters later, you'll interrogate another character that is related to the first character. And this is cool. It, it makes it 
you know, so it shows relationship between the people that you're talking to. They're not just all nameless and faceless, but um, their names are because they're androids. Their names are a bit anonymous and hard just to like remember. Alphanumeric characters. Yeah, it's like I, I so like in hour four, I really could not remember who AM-221 was uh, if they were brought up. And if I was not taking notes for a podcast, I would have just played and been like, I don't know who that is. I can't remember. And this game is very difficult to find guides and information for online. So had, again, had I not been taking podcast notes, I would have just been like, I guess I don't know who AM221 is. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not like mad about it because they're androids. Of course, they're products that are sold in stores. Some of them have like pet names or names that they've given themselves with permission from their owner, but it's um, just makes it a bit hard to remember. So I I don't know if people want to consult my podcast notes. Um, I could put them up for people so you can check who these people are, but I did find that to be kind of difficult. Yeah. I think it um, in this regard, uh, I think it, it, there was, I spent a lot of time thinking about, um, we talked about it. I think, I don't know. I'm pretty sure you did an episode on, in fact, about, uh, Oberdin. Not yet. No, not yet. But we have, um, we have talked about that, but we have talked about it, which is a detective game. And, and, uh, it is a detective game, um, that involves managing and sifting through a lot of information and a lot of very different types of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is not an episode on that game, so I won't go much more into detail on that. But one of the things I think that game does really well is is how it organizes and presents that information for you to work with. Um, like yeah. it, it makes it very easy to, you know, you're it's doing a lot of cross referencing uh, and like you know calling back to things and and it makes uh, it does a very good job of putting all that information at your fingertips and making it easy to make those connections. And I think that's one of the things that this game could do a little bit better is um, it, it has a lot of data and information that is important to what's happening. Um, and it is not always super easy to find it or to recall it or to un- or to like interpret it. Um, we didn't get like super in depth on on how it works, but I think that like the uh, six uh, axis like emotion meter um is not super intuitive. Like it, it, it took me a couple of encounters to really wrap my head around like w- what it was doing and how to understand like what it right. was telling me about what was happening. Like, like what constitutes an Android showing a certain emotion is not right. super because there were a couple in the first encounters where it was like, can they show these two emotions simultaneously? And it looked like they did, but they didn't. So yeah. And so like one thing one, like one thing the game does which I do appreciate is that like your interface has a tab that keeps a log of the com- of the interrogation um that is visible until you end the interrogation and each line of dialogue it's there's kind of like a chart uh appended to it um with columns for each uh emotion. And so like if if you didn't understand what was happening on the emotion graph or you need to like reference that information at some point later, you can go back to your chat log and scroll back and be like, "Oh, when they told me about this memory, they got plus 20 anger and plus 20 sadness or something like that." Right. Um yeah. and I found that to be a lot easier to like parse uh, uh in terms of ha- knowing how to answer the report questions for example 
than yeah. like watching the meter in real time. Um, and so to bring it full circle, I think like, you know, having one more tab that maybe like kept track of critical information from past cases that was always a bit like always accessible would have gone a long way. So like if you didn't remember who AM122 is or whatever the number, you could like open up a tab and go check that. Yeah. Uh, but as it stands, I don't think you can do that from inside the encounter. Yeah, I was going to ask you because I've done this in the past where I was like, why isn't there this mechanic? And someone's like, Dave, there was that. You just missed it. Um, so I have done that. Did in the I past, miss something? I, no, I was going to ask you, did I miss a screen that showed you your past interrogations? But Because I never found it and I was definitely wishing for it. The one thing I will say is... There are a couple of characters that are more important than others, and those characters do have more memorable names, but then there are some that get brought up where it's like, you did this with JH422, and I'm like, I don't know who that is. And that kind of like numeric or the the initials JH don't mean anything to me because it, right. it has nothing to do with who they are, really. So for those characters that are named like that, I would have appreciated a kind of like past interrogation summary. This is who they were. This is what happened to them type of thing. Yeah, because there's not even and there's not even a ton of like character design. I mean, I think there's kind of like a relatively low poly like headshot uh, on each dossier. But like, the the NPC like model that you can see on the screen in the interrogation room is like pretty low fidelity and like mm -hmm. they're not really distinctive. So, you know, you can't really differentiate them by that. Right. Um, to my knowledge, no, there, there is no like other than that, like post encounter screen that shows you the map. Um, there's, there's no way to kind of go back with the one exception. And I re I'm realizing now this is like a mechanic we didn't talk about at all, but um, in addition to uh, your interfaces dossier tab, uh, conversation log tab and then like dialogue tree tab there's also like an email inbox tab yeah. and there are a couple of encounters that sometimes involve like incoming emails or you'll get incoming emails that um, you know I got a lot of them you probably never saw one of these but like if your company score drops below I think 20 <laughs> out of 100 you get uh, like on a particular encounter then in that like right before bedtime like uh, score report uh uh, scene um you'll get like an email that's like further poor for performance will result in a disciplinary action or something like that <laughs> nice and so you can kind of like go back and find key moments from the story like in your inbox but not so much as to like uncover like uh, or to remind yourself who a specific character was necessarily gotcha yeah it's interesting that you get emails for uh the company reminding you that like your life is in danger if you don't shape up because you don't get emails praising you if you're doing well. So little <laughs> corporate dystopia Ooh, on just in real life. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we get into spoilers? Um, I, I think that I've kind of said the, the basic explanation and then kind of the, the no spoiler breakdown of how our, um, conversation went oh uh one more thing the music in the game we've talked about the way it looks uh the game but the music is um kind of laid back like background music style but i did enjoy it so i, I want to shout it out as like it's not intrusive it's it's got a couple melodies that stick with me throughout the day but 
enjoyable yeah. music. And, you know, when I hear music that I enjoy, I want to shout it out. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. And I think, you know, like we said, it's for a game that's so light on sort of visual dynamism uh, and, and you know, kind of other sort of showy complexity, like the writing definitely, uh, you know, pulls its weight. Um, but the music absolutely is like a solid foundation. I feel like it's really chill and like, I like very ambient, like it made it easy for me to like put on big headphones and block out everything else. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of like has cool. Um, I don't, I guess, I don't know if they were like sound effects or like if the music actually changed, but I felt like there were, uh, there were sound cues when things got intense or when you suddenly learned a piece of critical information that also kind of made it easy to stay engaged with, with the story that was unfolding too. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a game like this with as much reading as it has uh, a game that is centered on reading, um, the music has to take a backseat. Otherwise you'll get distracted. And I, I think that this, the music did its, its job for sure. Yeah, so definitely strikes a good balance. Yeah. So was there, was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we hit spoilers? No, I don't think so. I think, I think the only other things that I had written that I specifically wanted to talk about are probably best saved for after the spoiler wall, but, um, okay. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I think it was a, a, a solid game and, uh, uh, again, appreciate the, the developer for, for hooking us up and, um, I, I, I'd pay full price for it. I, uh, I think it's worth the, the time, uh, and the, and the money to, to ex- if if kind of he- narrative heavy detective investigation type games are your jam yeah so i was just going to ask like what kind of gamer would you recommend silicon dreams to and so the um the type of person who would enjoy like a, a real text heavy kind of puzzle ish conversation game the entire story plays out through the conversations that you have and the kind of post interrogation reports basically there's, there's really not a whole lot else going on. And then, of course, if you're pissing off Kronos, then you'll get angry emails from them to kind of drive that home. So I, I would recommend this to fans of the elevator pitch. If you played Papers, Please and enjoyed it, and if you watched Blade Runner and enjoyed it, I think you'll enjoy this. It's got, it's got good parts from both of those. Um, you have to be up for reading. There's no voice acting. And... It is like, I don't even want to say it's 99% reading. It's all reading, 100%. It is. Reading conversations, asking questions, um, stuff like that. So if you're you're in for that and if you're in for the kind of uncomfortable situations that your job will put you in um, in the game, then easy recommendation. I really enjoyed this. Definitely. And it's, it's one of those games that like won't take up a ton of your time. You could sit down and play it in a sitting on a Saturday afternoon if you wanted, if you have the emotional resilience, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that is, that is true. I did. Um, I do have a lot of time to play games as evidenced by the fact that I do a podcast where I, where I beat (laughs) three to four games a month. I do have a lot of free time, but I did find myself wanting to play this in like 45 minute chunks at maximum. Because uh, I did feel like, whoo, that was a uh, that was a lot. I need to play something else right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel we, you know, <laughs> we started off right off the bat. We said it's like five, seven hours tops, and I think most of those games I'll play in one or two sittings, maybe. Um, I think I played this one in in eight to ten. Like, <laughs> like I don't, I don't know that I ever sat through more than two and t- maybe three encounters in one sitting. Because um, it just, it's, it's not. 
I don't know. It, 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 it's one of those kinds of things that you just feel like you need to digest for before you dive into another one. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like you feel gross about what you, what you're doing or something like that, but it is, if you are invested in what's going on and you're invested in the characters that you're talking to, then there are going to be situations where you're not super comfortable with what you did. And maybe I don't want to go into the next interrogation and do another uncomfortable thing right mm-hmm. now. I'll wait until tomorrow. Okay, that kind right. of thing. Right. Cause like, cause <laughs> like we said, it's not, you know, it's, it's not just a series of figure out whether or not this person's a human or an Android, but it, but it definitely does hit hard on those themes of like, what does it mean to be human or to be, to, to, to deserve autonomy and to, um, you know, and so it, like, it leaves you with a lot of like big heady stuff to chew on. Uh, yeah. even after you set it down and walk away. Yeah. hundred percent. So very enjoyable game. Again, thank you to James and clockwork bird for providing us with the codes. Um, but as I, as I said before, this was already on my radar. It was on my wish list. It was just going to be a matter of time before I finally bought it and played it. And I do recommend, uh, that a lot of people give it a shot. So Little housekeeping here before spoiler time to support Tales from the Backlog. Uh, the best ways to do that are the best ways to support any podcast by going on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a rating and review. It's really helpful. Um, you are more than welcome to join the Discord server. Come in and chat with some cool people. Um, I would love if people played this game, number one, and then came into the Discord server and shared their experiences because as Scott and I are going to get into in the spoiler section, you can't have different experiences with it so we would love to have you we have a very cool and supportive group of people in the discord server it's a good time Um, if you want to support monetarily there is a patreon page there's a link down in the show notes Uh, two bucks a month gets you voting rights on episodes of the show bonus episodes lots of cool treats my undying love and respect all of that stuff Um, i also do another show called a top three podcast where each episode is usually a top three list sometimes other fun list-related activities. Shaking that um, one up lately, huh? Yeah, we did. We're, uh, we're evolving on <laughs> top three. Um, that show is a good time. If you want to hear me talk about things that are not video games, that's the place. So Scott and I are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the spoilers for Silicon Dreams. I'm back. Scott and I are going to break down the spoiler wall for Silicon Dreams. So if you have not played Silicon Dreams, get out. We're going to spoil it. And we're going to spoil what happens throughout the greater plot right now. So we're not going to go chronologically with the big um, revelation at the end. Here it is. Get out. You've been warned. So as you play through Silicon Dreams, as you go through the interrogations, you start to realize that the greater plot is about robots wanting their own freedom and autonomy, which is like we, like I said at the very beginning of the episode, well-worn territory. Um, But 
two things that I think made this interesting before we talk about how it ended for us. Uh, Number one, you get to choose what role you take in it and any role that you want to take. But unlike something like Detroit Become Human, you are never going to be on the front lines of this revolution. You are never going to be the one in the streets holding the flag or whatever. You are in your interrogation room or you're in your sleeping quarters and it all plays out around you. I think that that is what takes a, frankly, what I think is kind of a tired storyline and makes it into something that was unique for this game. The fact that you are just seeing it through conversations and then news reports at the very end. Yeah, definitely. There's, um, I don't know that we mentioned it, but in that, uh, like post post encounter scene in like your bedroom each night before you go to bed, uh, there's like a little like news television, uh, that like, will I, I don't know how varied it gets, but I did notice that like, it usually just shows you like one screen or something with like a headline, but I, the, usually the headlines like related to, you know, uh, something that just happened or happened in the previous encounter. Um, mm-hmm. and it kind of reflects like your role in it, but I think it's also interesting that like you can't no matter where no matter how you choose what role you choose to play you decide you want to play in this plot um the game doesn't let you be a hundred percent that like you, you will still have to make choices that go against that in order to keep all of the different like incentive structures in balance right to keep the game going right yep and there's um there's one kind of encounter later as i think it's like right after you've started to be introduced to this plot where you start to realize oh there is going to be an uprising there's there's a plot happening now and then you get thrown right in and you are being interrogated um which was a a shock to me and they say you know this is routine every we we do this from time to time but the timing of it felt perfect with what was going on in the greater plot and also because I had just started to start breaking the rules. So in my playthrough, I went into my interrogation or my performance review, as they call it, a couple interrogations after I started to think, you know what, fuck Kronos. I'm going to start facilitating quietly, but also I'm going to start re- like making the recommendations that I feel are correct. And then they were like, all right, you're in the chair now. And I was like, oh, shit. So did, when did that happen? Was that that was towards the end of the game for you? Like m- maybe three or four encounters away from the end? And it was uh, it was the second to last encounter. OK, so that I think that that's that's what I was referring to earlier when I said that I had a, I potentially had a fail state encounter that you didn't have. I didn't realize that that was like going to be there as like part of the plot. Uh, no matter what, because it happened, um, I think, after, like, my, co- at the moment, my company score fell to the lowest it ever was. Like, it was, oh. it was, like, it was my, it was my only, it was the first time it fell below 10. Okay. I spent a lot of the game between 10 and 20, and you get, like, that email when you're sub 20 that's like, turn that shit around or else you're going to be punished. Um mm-hmm. But that was the first time that I actually dropped down to like below 10, like to to a single digit score. And I assumed that I was thrown into the chair because of that and not because I had reached the right point in the in the story. Interesting. So was it also the second to last thing for you, too? Um, I think so. I think it was the third to last. Uh, And so I was looking at your notes um, and 
so talk talk me through like your la- the last two encounters your last two encounters not counting the one where you were in the chair okay so in like the fourth to last encounter you get a message from this revolutionary named RO334 mm-hmm. that just says you know you want to be a part of this sit back wait for further directions and then the next encounter was this guy named Reynold Adder who's a human we didn't mention in the uh, non-spoiler part, sometimes you do interrogate humans. And this is the former owner of RO334. And then after that, I was in the chair. Right. Okay. And so then and then the next encounter was your last one. And what was that? That was RO334. Okay. So I had an encounter after that that I don't think you had. Interesting. Okay. So sweet. Uh so RO334, um, and I, I it seems like we might be spoiling things kind of in backwards order here, uh, but yeah. like we're into it now, right? So RO three three four is is an android that uh, uh, was granted um, like his own autonomy and to maybe up for de- a debatable amount of uh, uh, illegality um, was was also aided uh, by what was his name, Reynold? Per- yeah, Professor Adder. Professor Adder. Um, in kind of achieving that that independence and you know the the aesthetic augmentations that would allow him to escape uh being recalled or whatever mm-hmm. um and uh when he comes and he and he sits in the chair um he kind of encourages you uh you know before the recorder comes on like just just pre- everything's going according to plan just pretend this is a normal interrogation so you kind of right. proceed as normal and as it unfolds uh it becomes clear that um well, actually, I also think that this one unfolded differently for us. So why don't you tell me uh, how this un- how this one unfolded for you? With uh, Professor Adder or with RO334? No, with RO334. So like, okay. so at, at a certain point, he like pulls back the curtain and is just like very open about the fact that he is the revolutionary and that the plan is about to be set into motion. How did that go for you? Okay, so yeah, so I guess it's not a... We're not going too far out of order because we can kind of walk this back and talk about what led to this too, but... There is kind of a an android uprising coming. You find out RO334 is the leader of this uprising. Um I at this point I was interested. I you know this this kind of like breaks the immersion a little bit, but I started to think this is a video game. The more interesting thing to me is to follow the uprising plot and see what's going on. So I'm going to play along with RO334. So if this was real life, probably not. But um, we'll see. Anyway, talk with RO334. We find out the revolution is only three androids at the time. So it gives you a little false sense of like, oh, this shit's not going to work. And they say that their plan is to release a video of some kind. And what it actually is, is they're releasing um, a video seems to just be the, the best format to transmit what they're doing. But they're transmitting all these memories of people being cruel to androids. So it's emotional data being transmitted via a video of cruelty, abuse, all kinds of stuff. The way, I don't know if you played like Cyberpunk 2077, but the way that I kind of read that was like, um, like the, the brain dance thing from that game, which is like, it lets you live memory, like relive a, a, a recorded memory, but like with like full sensory, like 
experience, right? Gotcha. So what they're like hoping to do is like broadcast these memories and he keeps calling it a video, but I think the intent is to like get like like get all the androids to feel what these mistreated androids have felt in order right. to like build solidarity. Mhm. Exactly. So he is going to transmit this data basically make everyone feel this and then hopefully turn people onto the side of the revolution. So in my interrogation with him, he wanted to be decommissioned. And so uh, killed um, yeah. in Silicon dreams speak, he wanted to be decommissioned. And I thought that he wants to drum up extra support by becoming a martyr for this um, revolution. He says that, once the video goes out, there's nothing left for him to do. His job is done. Now he wants to be killed to embolden everybody in the uprising. That's what I thought. It's not what happened, though. Uh, so did you, is this playing out how it did for you? Yes, but I think this is where it stops because he told me what I think he didn't tell you about okay. what happens next. Okay, so he definitely did not tell me what happened um, because... Maybe I was being more standoffish toward him and didn't gain the trust or something. But when you decommission the androids, uh, they basically, they el electrocute them to death. So he turns out had an EMP on his body. So when you electrify him, it causes this massive electrical surge that knocks out all the Kronos like security systems, cameras, radios, everything. And that opens the door for these androids that have been turned to the, the side of the re the revolution to storm the building basically. So I am curious to know, um, and I don't know that either of us know the answer to this, but like whether my experience was a result of how I played this encounter or if it was a result of how I had played previous encounters or both. Mm -hmm. But, um, basically, uh, so the, the, if memory serves, like you, I think you get like an email, you, you get emails throughout that encounter, like from Kronos, like PR being like, oh no, like what's going on? Like, cause the, the video is being uploaded and sent out during the encounter. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, as you're talking to RO334, there's, I don't remember if there's actual sound effects of like crowds, but like there is like an, there a is, ramp up in yeah. the music and you get the sense that like, it's working. People are hearing, are, are experiencing this video. They're taking to the streets. They're outside the building right now while you're interrogating. Mm -hmm. And then this EMP goes off uh, and it's like supposed to like let them in, right? It's supposed to give them an edge to like take over. Right. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, because of the choices I had made before, he told me that that's what was going to happen. Like I, I, he told me he wanted to be decommissioned and I was like asking him about why and and he's like, all right, here's here's the skinny. Like, I have this thing in in here, and like, there's nothing left for me after this anyway. So, like, use this, like, get like slip out in the chaos, um, or whatever. Mm. Like, he, it almost seemed like he thought knowing that would would uh, help me. Okay, but then it ended the same way. I did decommission him. It, the EMP did go off, and the and the blackout happened. Interesting. Okay, so let's put a pin in that. Mm -hmm. And let's work backwards. Uh, let's start over from kind of the beginning and work back up to that. Hold on. Before we do, yeah. what happened after that for you? Like, generally speaking. I was labeled as a traitor by the revolution. They came and knocked on my door and they captured me and told me that they were going to torture me by shaving down my brain 
to the capability of a a sentient husk. And this is like this is like they kind of like do like a little epilogue thing with some di- dialogue cards. Is this how they were how they delivered this yep. information to you? Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so again, I don't know what choices I made prior that enabled this, but I actually had one more interrogation after that. Okay. And it was. Do you do you want me to talk about it, or do you want to walk back? Let's let's walk back. Let's because okay. uh, the the point that I wanted to make for 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 anyone listening who didn't play this and is just listening because you want to know what happens. Um, it sounds like we went zero to one hundred with no kind of build up, but I actually think this game does a really good job of building up to yeah. the revolution from your perspective of only being in your interrogation room. Mm-hmm. So you start. By talking to androids that have, like, they've either been mistreated or you start to get the tiniest inkling that something might be up. So an early android is named Shakira Barber, and you thought she was a human at the beginning. And that was a Blade Runner interrogation where you needed to determine if she's a human or not. Um and so the fact that androids are disguising themselves as human is one of the first clues that something greater is happening. Uh, what and what and this it is like is. The fir- one of the first places where I um, like had, where I was kind of forced into making a choice I didn't want to make because so the first encounter and this is like an elegant thing that I think I am just kind of pieced together since we started this conversation. But like the first encounter is called Al- is a, is an android called Alex. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty straightforward. Like the, there is something wrong with Alex. Alex does need to be like serviced, but servicing uh, an Android wipes their memory, and Alex is afraid of that. And so, like it's the it's this most basic tension between doing your job and like the you, you know they're an Android, but they're just so likable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they they're scared of like, losing their memory, right? And so like. It was so elegantly designed that I that and and I succumbed to my to my human empathy and I let them go even though all of the like evidence on the report said I shouldn't and immediately got like my score docked. And mm-hmm. so two encounters later, when Shakira Shakira Barber shows up um, and you start noticing things are going awry, is suddenly when you start to feel like you are getting a grasp on like the actual gravity of your decisions mm-hmm. and because of like how I started the game right away, I had to be making decisions I didn't want to make in order to keep things in balance. And so Uh like, I, uh, I didn't, I think, I think Shakir is the, is maybe the only encounter where you do actually have to start by determining whether or not they're an Android or a human. I believe so. And she is an Android. And I, um, I, I went back and looked through like my my outcomes earlier, and I it uh, it seems as though I decommissioned her despite lack of proof, and so I don't know if there was enough proof in that to like prove that she needed to be decommissioned, mm-hmm. but it felt like that's what Kronos wanted me to do, and like she's the first character that kind of seems to matter, and so like I don't know, did you? Did you decommission her or did you like? Oh, so this is actually really interesting. She has, she's one of, um, she's the first encounter where there's some other supplementary material. So she has a diary 
that you can read. That's right. And it turns out there are some mysterious phrases in her diary that when you question her on it and when you say them in the correct order are a kill phrase. And she exploded in my interrogation. Wow. Yeah. I had no so, idea. Yeah. So that was really interesting to me for like the beginning of this greater plot. Number one, she is an android who feels the need to disguise herself as a human. She got plastic surgery, um, all that stuff. But number two, she felt like, I actually don't know how the kill phrase is coded, whether she set that up or if that's Kronos standard manufacturing policy. But she had a kill phrase and it was written in her diary. And I don't know Maybe she wrote it in her diary as kind of a like, hey, if I get sent to the interrogators, I want to make sure these words are said so that I just I just die, basically. I feel like I remember that encounter having an element of her not knowing. Like, yeah. Does it come back to her? Does it all come back to her or something? Because I feel like at the beginning of that encounter, she doesn't know she's an Like she genuinely thinks she's a human. You know, as I got through that, I started to feel like maybe she was just saying that. But mm. I... I couldn't say for sure but to my knowledge she's the only android that has a kill phrase so that was uh yeah interesting. I, didn't, I didn't even notice didn't even find that that's wild yeah but you know there might be more because like we said there's um four to six outcomes for a lot of these and there's only so many outcomes when you take into account like decommissioned maintenance or released that's only three so there's other stuff and in the in the case of some of the humans you talk to, it's like only two because you, you're not the cops, so you can't imprison them and like you <laughs> can't not gonna, kill them. So you're it's not like decommission a human, right? Yeah, it's pretty much like release them or I don't know. I'm not even sure what some of the other options were. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's maybe there are. I, I'm, I'd be curious. I'd, I'll be curious to hear to see uh, people talking in the discord about this game and, and see if I uh, learn about any outcomes or, or endings that I didn't even consider were, would be possible. Yeah. Um, so that's the first kind of thing that I noticed playing through these interrogations. We're not going to go through all of them um, in detail, but that was the first one where I was like, oh, androids feel like they need to um, disguise themselves as humans and then also set up a kill phrase so that if shit goes wrong, um, they're put out of their misery, basically. And then you have a lot of other interrogations where it seems like they are it seems like you have a lot of interrogations where androids are feeling emotions that they should not be able to feel so they're kind of independently developing this capability regardless of their like their programming straight out of the box um, and there's mm -hmm. a lot like this yeah i think one of the i don't know if it's the very next one or but like shortly after Shakira Barber there's there's one that um like they're I think you actually mentioned him in uh before the spoiler well, but he's like a, a stream he's like a, a streamer uh yeah. android. It's the and, one right after um, Shakira, yeah. And it has this like really interesting tension between like um like you're you're representing Kronos, right? And like androids are technically Kronos property. And so like part of this investigation involves finding out whether or not like the owner of this android has violated their like user terms of service by um by damaging right like the what this android does is he like gets damaged on stream uh right and like mm -hmm. it's kind of kind of fucked up because like 
I think there's a little bit in there about his owner like having a custom like pain module installed so that yeah. he like could feel pain that he would not otherwise feel because it increases the views on the like Twitch stream or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um but like so like on one hand you're trying you're trying to investigate like wrongdoing on behalf of the owner uh be- based on like potentially having done damage or performed unauthorized modifications to the Android but then you're also trying to investigate like whether the Android is functioning correctly and should like face consequences or or be maintenance or or whatever um in addition to you know balancing all of those things in the bigger plot that it's unfo- that's unfolding yeah um that that streamer android was a really interesting one because you know maybe an earlier android had experienced an emotion that was not supposed to be there but it seemed incidental or like not super important or not it mm-hmm. didn't stand out in any way whereas this one um RL404 is like taking pleasure in the fame that it gets from these streams and like one of its biggest worries as you're talking through like what's going to happen is that it's going to lose its fame. It's going to lose its popularity if it can't do these streams anymore, if it gets sent to a new owner, if it gets memory wiped and sent back. Um, They're really concerned about losing their popularity. And that's, I was like, this shouldn't be something that an Android built to do a job should be concerned with. So it's uh, a much more human side of the androids than like maybe the first one that you talked to. This is only number yeah. four in the game. Yeah. Out of 15 or something like that. Yeah. And I think, I feel like there are a lot of the ones like a lot of the encounters with androids that, um, where they, the situation you're investigating, like heavily involves, uh, that character or that androids owner, um, end up hitting on, on like, they almost end up feeling like these like weird like Stockholm syndrome type like uh, relationships where it's like th- these androids are being mistreated by their owners and clearly mm-hmm. have like a some kind of like sadness or or anger about that um, whether they're supposed to or literally programmed to or not uh, but they also like frequently can't like bring themselves to say bad things about their owners right like. It's like that streamer is is not just worried about losing fame, but like also like letting down his owner because there it 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 it's a business that they run together, right? Right. Um, and then I think there's one there's like well you interrogate an android that's like an attendant to an old man, uh, and he expresses like how much he hates the way this old man treats him, but also how like how much how much it saddens him and angers him how like unhelpful the state is to elderly people Mm -hmm. um i think there's there's a lot of uh you know heavy-handed in some cases like blade runner nods um and and uh android streaming electric sheep nods but there's also some like really well-written poignant social commentary um that you know feels modern like currently prescient right yeah yeah 100 percent. actually one of the more affecting android conversations or interrogations not it's not an interrogation actually this one it's called sm115 and if you don't remember because of the naming um, this one is the labor reassignment one so it's not an interrogation it's because their owner died and they need a new job and it's your job to kind of pick what they need to do 
And of course, there are a couple of variables. The Android wants to be near the owner's grave, and the Android has a particular set of skills. But the job that would match their skill set is not near their owner's grave. And so this act, this, it sounds like it's not one of the most serious ones because it's like you're not deciding their immediate fate, but you know, that needs a new job. (laughs) Like, right. But you know that if you send them to the job site that they want to uh, go to, it's going to be too hard for their. Um, the way their Android body was constructed and they're going to break down. If you send them to the job that they're suited for, they're not going to get their wish of being near their owner's grave. So you have to make the right choice. That one was oddly one of the more affecting ones. And a little cherry on top is, I don't think I mentioned this in the non-spoiler part. I just don't think I got to it, but Kronos does not always honor your recommendation. So in that one in particular, I sent them to, the good job site um, that was away from their owner's grave, but would ensure that they didn't break down physically. Kronos was like, nope, they're going to a construction site, and they broke down really quickly and died, and didn't get to be near their owner. So that one was like, ah, fuck. Yeah, and it's it's weird, because it's like by limiting the 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 big picture stakes because because it has because it plays such a small that encounter plays such a small role in the in the you know hidden plot that's unfolding over the course of the game it almost makes you feel like you have more power in it than you do in any other encounter because uh it in the moment it feels like there's no way like there's no reason for my decision to be overridden in this scenario because i'm simply deciding where this person goes but mm-hmm. you are choosing between you. You do have to be the one to make the choice between uh, whether to prioritize that android's happiness or the like. The interest that Chronos has in making sure the androids do uh, the thing that uh, they're designed to do, which is like the their job, right? Mm-hmm. And and then like it really, like you said, it really stings when you try to do the fit when like. You know it's going to make him sad, but you try to do the thing that's going to be best for like his well-being, right? You're not even making that choice because you're you are acting in Kronos' interests. You're making because you're inter- acting in his interests, and they still fuck you over. Yeah, yeah, it's real good. Um, it that's actually that's actually the interrogation where Ro three three four sends you the notice that says, um, "Stay tuned," basically for what's coming. Another thing, kind of as we build up from an android disguising themselves as a human up to the eventual uprising, there are a couple of other androids that like feel like they're aiding like a, a hidden thing, like a hidden common interest among androids, but it's not quite starting a revolution yet. It's just this gradual buildup. Um, there's a QA android who is kind of like a fake out. It's DS916. Um, they are approving defective androids for production. Um, and, and I kind of got the feeling like this is, um, I don't know, they, they want more soldiers out on the streets or something like that. Or they're knowingly going against their programming um, if this is before the uh, the revolution plotline starts yeah, up. Yeah, it almost feels like a civil disobedience kind of act. Yeah, right? which is which is not something that should be possible in these androids 
but at the same time doesn't doesn't feel immediately like threatening to Kronos. So like it almost feels like he can let this one slide. Right. And it it kind of just turns out that this android is feeling pressure to hit quotas and that's why they're doing this. So this was another android though that was independently developing emotions that it shouldn't have felt. So we're we're kind of building up with that. Then the one after that is actually believed to be part of a network of rogue androids. So now we're starting to talk about rogue androids. This is AM221. Oh, yeah. So I couldn't get far enough in the conversations to like get real answers, but I did know that there was something coming. And by this point, I had had enough shitty decisions by Kronos or enough shitty situations where I was like, you know what? I'm going to see what this is about. So <laughs> they ask you, my recommendation went against what I should have done. And I let them go. And they immediately, uh, they're a social worker. So they're working with, um, you know, androids in tough situations and, and humans and stuff. So they immediately went out and started clearing cases of all androids that were like disguised as humans to kind of like free them up or something like that. And they immediately got caught. But as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, so there is something in the water out here. And it starts to build up from there to like actually talking about uprising. Yeah. And I think this is where I started. So like I said, I'd gone back to look through all of my different like conversation webs earlier today. And something I noticed is that there's a lot more undiscovered information in like the last third of the encounters for me because Mm -hmm. uh i think at least in part because of that thing i mentioned earlier where i started wondering like are there things i should strategically not be asking about so as to not establish like a record of something Uh and so like i i felt like i i there were a couple of places where i like I kind of just tried to like ask the bare minimum that I needed to put together a plausible report and then like do the most like benevolent outcome I could, I could. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that like right around this is the, is the time that this encounter is the time when I started to like employ that strategy, trying to like strategically hide information from Kronos. Nice. Nice. So this one is kind of like the, the stepping stone. Then you start to get this uh, message from RO334. The next person you talk to is Professor Adder, who was RO334's former owner, who tried to give it its freedom. Um, legally, androids can never be free because they're Kronos property. But um, this Professor Adder is the classic uh, human that is on the side of the androids who thinks that they should be given all human rights and all of those things. Um, So this is where, like, if it hasn't crystallized already what the rest of the game is going to be about, this was, like, to me, it was like, okay, um, something's coming. This is another, you know, do robots deserve the same rights as humans type of story, and I need to figure out what side of it I'm going to be on. And by now, you're running short on time to do so. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so um, we talked about the RO334 thing with the EMP, the storming mm-hmm. of Kronos HQ, um, the fate of my character. My character was caught by the rebels and you branded as a traitor because, uh, well, I'll get into that. Um, my character did not have a good ending. 
you said that after RO334 and after the EMP and the um, the uprising, you had another interrogation. So what was that? So after RO334 uh, and the EMP, I can't remember exactly like what played out in between. And like, I feel like there was some some kind of uh, like exposition screen or something like that, uh, mm-hmm. or however they like, maybe, maybe another, you get a chance to look at the news report or something. But then the lights came up on the last interrogation and sitting in the chair was Ava Blanchard, the CEO of Kronos Industries. Oh, no shit. And um, she uh, and, and so at this point, you're uh, I can't remember exactly all the cues that like lead you to believe this, but I, f- I feel like it's. This is something that is happening because of like the break in, like the 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 riot outside broke in, storm like seized control of Kronos headquarters and like put Ava Blanchard in the interrogation and then like gave me the the uh let me do the honors of conducting this interrogation where I, see. Yeah. I basically was given the opportunity to like force her to to like admit and i think there was maybe it, it was implied that maybe this was being live streamed or something like that or like that the results of this interrogation would go public somehow mm-hmm. but like was basically able to like work her into a corner to admit that like she sees androids as being lesser than human and not deserving deserving rights and admitting to like uh abusing androids in the past and like admitted to doing like shitty things out of corporate greed um and uh, at the end of that, I was given the opportunity to either let her go or to execute her. Huh. Uh, and uh, I, I chose to execute her, uh, uh-huh. which looks the same. So she like fries in the chair when you hit the button. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, you get that like title card sequence. And um, some of the, the key things that I think were unique to, the, to my ending was that um, the... Uh, the Android uprising was a success and there was uh, an Android state was established in, I can't remember if the setting is like given a a name. It's, I think it's just San Jose. Oh, that's right. That's right. San Jose. Um, So like the, the, you know, it, it, it almost has that feel of like a, at the end of a movie when they're like, you know, so-and-so went on to be a whatever. Um, It's like, that's kind of how the like epilogue exposition is delivered. And it, Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, there was an Android state established um, that uh, kind of grant, like allowed Androids some to to achieve some level of like autonomy within society, um, uh-huh. but it was kind of a mixed a mixed success because um, the spectacle of me frying Eva Blanchard in that chair meant that uh, there is a, a good population of humans out there um, who now. Uh, uh, are in an uproar and like are even angrier and more like prejudice prejudiced mm-hmm. against androids because of the choices I made in that last scene, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would assume that if you let her go, there would be some more like goodwill um, extended toward the androids. Yeah. I also like, but, but I think I had considered that, but I was also like, if I let her go, like, is she, are, is the mob outside just going to like tear it to shreds? Like, is this going to yeah. happen either way? So I think that's like part. And also, you know, I was, I'm an Android. Yeah. And like true. some of that last stuff, like got me fired up. So I was like, fuck it. Let's, let's let her fry. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So I wonder how we arrive at this 
because we both allowed this to proceed. We both went along with what R0334 wanted, but we ended up with different scenarios. I ended up getting like tortured to death basically by the rest of the, by the uprising. You ended up as like a key figure in the uprising and in the victory. Was there ever like, did the game ever tell you or like in one of those cards or something like why the other androids branded you a traitor? Like, is there a specific thing they said? Like, nope, you decommissioned too many androids or nope. And that's um, part of why I was a bit taken aback, slightly unsatisfied by this ending, because I was the one who let their plan go to fruition in several steps along the way. I aided the revolution. And in RO334's thing, he said, please kill me. And I did. And then they were like, you know, they stormed in. And I assume it's because I decommissioned or memory wiped too many androids uh, that maybe didn't deserve it or just too many in general. But I definitely did play along with the uprising. And I felt like I felt like I was the key to it happening. But they still came in, busted down my door, captured me. Which, like, you know, it it was interesting when that happened, but in a narrative sense, I'm not sure why. I wonder how much, how much, see, you said you kind of went, like, on a rogue spree towards the end. Like, do you have a sense of what your, like, company score was at the end? (laughs) Because if it was high enough, I wonder if that was, if that played a factor. It was just like, look at this employee of the month over here. That was my, um, that was my (laughs) other factor that I think might have played into it where, you know, maybe they saw the company standing and they were like, this motherfucker's got a 74. (laughs) Let's get him. Um, yeah, exactly. So that might've been a thing. Although I did think it was funny. Um, I got docked points after the RO334 interrogation because of what happened with the EMP. They blamed me for it and they took points away from me. Uh, Kronos did. And then the uprising comes and they hate me too. So I was like, fuck me, I guess. So I wonder if it was like, um, (laughs) like, I wonder if that was established before the RO334 encounter for you. Like, Probably. I wonder, like, it almost feels like there is a link between, like, yes, you, ki- you, yes, you obliged him when he asked you to make him a martyr, but mm-hmm. he did not, like, fully let you in on his plan with the whole EMP. And so I can see that kind of being from a certain angle representative of, like, you weren't instrumental in it. RO334 got what he, like, pulled off his plan without yeah. help right yeah um whereas like i don't know what it was that i did before that that like gained me that trust but like the fact that he told me i wonder if that's linked to the to the other like the android mob outside seeing right. me as as on their side rather than on chrono's side right so i'm looking back at my notes for what i did in all of the interrogations and probably about halfway through i started to either go against what Kronos wanted, because there's a couple where Kronos wants you to fill out a false report to just justify what they want. And I stopped doing that. Um, There were a couple where, like, I recommended something, but Kronos overrode my decision and did something that hurt the android. So maybe I got blamed for that. It might have just been that my company rating was too high. 
it's oh okay so i did actually write it down um after my performance review which was the penultimate interrogation my company rating was 88 out of 100 despite going against chronos's wishes in a lot of cases it's mm. part of the reason why i went through this feeling like it was too easy because i i felt like i was fucking around a little bit and i still had 88 out of 100 so yeah. that might have been it I am. I'm suddenly very curious about the the how many, if any, different ways that performance review encounter can play out, and also the extent, like the role that it plays in how the narrative unfolds. Because yeah, I felt like I wrote, you know, I was I was riding, I was toeing the line of getting fired the entire time, mm-hmm. and then I got to that encounter, which it made sense that I was having a performance review conceptually because I'm like, yeah, I've been a shit employee. Look at all those red marks. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I felt like that encounter was not particularly difficult. Like I, like it, it it felt weirdly easy to just say the right things and have whoever was interrogating me be like, all right, sounds good. Let's move on. Yep. Like it didn't feel like it, it didn't feel as much like a puzzle to solve as the other encounters. Um, and so I kind of had this weird moment where I was like, what, what am I supposed to be saying here? Yeah. Um, I actually, in my performance review, I said exactly what I thought Kronos wanted to hear because I had started to dick around in the previous like four or five interrogations. So I thought I didn't know that this was a scripted review. So when it came up, I was like, oh, fuck, are they catching on to me? like supporting this, you know, possible uh-huh. uprising coming. So I was like, I better say exactly what they want me to say. So I'm sure that the company rank plays into what happens at the end, how like the revolutionaries treat you. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt a little bit like, Hey man, like I, I played a big role in this. You wouldn't be in the building if it wasn't yeah. for me. So a little bit disappointing in that way. Um, so one interesting thing about the way mine ended is that the uprising worked. And then after you get your ending um, with your character, it shows up a a summary of what happened to all the characters that you interrogated, including you. You're the last one. Uh, What I found was interesting was the uprising worked, but there was no Android state set up. What actually happened is that Professor Adder, as a result of the uprising, worked with Kronos to implement better emotional algorithm guidelines for the um, androids to reduce the risk of deviance. So mm. it worked in that immediate moment, but overall, we abolished we, we abolished the police and you achieved police reform. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but it sounded like um, it was worded in such a way where it was not altering the emotional algorithm guidelines for the the sake of the androids and their emotional well-being, it was we're going to stamp out future uprisings by changing the way that these are coded, basically. That doesn't sound like that character. Yeah, I don't know. It, the, right? the, like the, the way it was, doesn't sound like out of character for him to help Kronos with something like that? Perhaps he got scared by what happened and wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that it didn't happen again, but it, it was worded as... Um, to reduce the risk of deviance. We're updating the way that this is made. I don't love that phrasing. (laughs) Yeah. So that was interesting to me. There were um, lots of other androids from like the interrogation history that 
had interesting endings. Like some of them had bad endings. Um, there's some that like the first one, Alex, that we interrogated in my game. Um, I sent them in for maintenance. They got their memory wiped and then they died in the Kronos building during the takeover. So they were part of the uprising. Yeah. Um, I saw that you had recorded those and I wasn't able to find like any place where I could see those in like, I guess I would, I could maybe relaunch the game and I don't know if it's like saved at the end or if I would be able to play through that last encounter and see them again. But I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't find like what those outcomes were for each of my characters. I remember seeing them, but I couldn't like dig them back up. Right. Um, (laughs) there There were a couple that were kind of fucked up. Um, there was the android who killed a government administrator. It was the first known case of a murder committed by an android. Um, as a result of what happened, uh, they were decommissioned. Um, their owner was found dead at home. They uh, became a symbol for the android rights movement, and their body, after they were decommissioned, was displayed at Kronos Engineering HQ um, as a reminder to be perfect in creating the androids. So I was like, Jesus Christ, Kronos. Sucks. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially cause that's like, that's the one that's like very clearly like a, a, a Rick Deckard, uh, like stand in, right? Like he, like, a, uh, like he has the same job. Oh, um, no, this one was a caretaker. This was the one with the old man, the one who, um, was getting fucked over by all the, the red tape in filling out forms and shit. Oh, that's right. That's right. The other one didn't didn't commit murder. They just like assaulted someone or something. Right. Or was were seen assaulting someone. So they were evidently decommissioned by Kronos because I released them in my game uh, to go take care of their owner. Because uh, they said in the interrogation, like, hey, if I'm gone, no one is going to check on this guy. He's going to die. So I was like, you know what? Also, because the reason they killed somebody was that there was a emotion regulator error. That made them kill them. So I let them go. Kronos evidently disagreed and decommissioned them. Their owner died as a result. And then they were displayed at Kronos HQ as a reminder to the engineers to do better. Yeah. <laughs> Woof. Which is like another thing. This comes up, I think, a couple of other times. It's But it's always pretty subtle. But like the ways in which like you're, if it's not bad enough that you're in charge of making these heavy decisions for the people that are in your chair the way that like those decisions ripple out, like that's an example of where like, you know, in this case it was Cronus's decision to override yours, but like it was, you know, the decision of this organization that led to this man dying. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's like unjust. Yeah. There is another side of that. How, um, there was AM two, two, one, who was the one who was a social worker, when they were released, they hurried up and cleared a bunch of cases uh, to kind of wipe the records of androids that are posing as humans. Um, those androids were key figures in the storming of the building. So me letting that person go ended up helping the uprising uh, to take over Kronos HQ. So depending on how you feel about androids taking over the building, that was a positive outcome that came from that. Uh, helped a bunch of androids out. So I, I really liked, like, I don't need to go through all of these results at the end, but I like how they showed you 
what happened with all of them and not just because all of them are important for the story. Some of them are not. They're just, you find out what ultimately happened. Like that, um, the one who wanted to be near their owner's grave um, got reassigned to construction. Their body gave out. They died a painful death. So it told me that. And I was like, fuck, Kronos. But you don't, like, you don't know until that, right? Like, you right. come if, if, if that's how you decide to end that encounter, like, that's something you feel like you were able to do good. You, I you tried feel good to do about good. them for that whole game. And then at the very end, they're like, just kidding. It was futile. It was, um, for that one in particular, it was like, I gave my recommendation. And then in the after report, it says, uh, Kronos is like, yeah, we see your recommendation. We're not doing that. She's going to construction. So, and then at the end, so you kind of know, like, this isn't going to go well. And then at the end, they're like, it did not go well. It was exactly <laughs> how you thought it would be. <laughs> and it did not. Yeah. Um, and then the last one is my character, the final person on this um, kind of results slideshow they show you. Uh, my character was killed by an angry mob of Android rights supporters and is remembered fondly by some. So the androids that I helped remember me fondly, but apparently I didn't help enough of them because they killed me. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I wasn't able to dig up exactly what mine was, but you know, knowing that, you know, I had the outcome where the Android state was founded and there was maybe some, some, uh, tense human Android relations, uh, still lingering. I have to assume it was probably kind of similar where like, I don't know. I maybe the androids. Uh, I was like well remembered by androids, but less so by humans. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't. I don't recall if it said anything about you know what I did with the rest of my life, or if I had any sort of official role in the android state or whatever. Like mm -hmm. fuzzy on that. Yeah. So I said I was kind of like dissatisfied by my ending or kind of snuck up on me in a way. And the one thing that I thought about that kind of rationalized that is that throughout most of the game, we kind of praised how you get this, um, this interesting, unique perspective on the uprising, being that you're never leaving your room, basically. And so you just hear about what's going on and you take part in it. If you choose to, we both obviously chose to take part in it. Um, but you still, you're not on the front lines, like I said earlier. And so you start to feel this disconnect. Like, I, I wrote down that this reminded me of, like, checking Twitter or watching the news or something and them talking about the war in Ukraine. And, like, I want to support Ukraine in this, but I'm a dude in my room recording a podcast I'm not over there. I am disconnected. This is not affecting me um, if I'm lucky. And I am lucky. And in this game, it, it was that way for a long time. And then suddenly... And then all at once. All at once, they're pounding on my door. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, 
it, it's it's interesting how I got this false sense of safety where like, yeah, I can do this. Um, my company rating is good. It's something I actually wrote down in the notes. I can do this because my company rating is good. I'll be fine. And then suddenly shit hit the fan. My character was not fine. That's something that happens to real people when there's, you know, conflicts like this. So, yeah, it's it was kind of like, fuck, this this snuck up on me. I felt like I did my part. I still died. But when I lay it out that way, it starts to make more sense um, in a way that I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I think this game is very critical of a lot of like real world, uh, uh, the inherent like bias and unfairness of like real world social systems. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, I think a lot of a lot of what we've it feels like we've both been kind of like working this out in real time in this conversation. But like a lot of what feels frustrating during the gameplay, like you really come to appreciate as like um a well-designed reflection of the things that the game is uh, of the themes that the game is playing with Mm -hmm. and like in that sense it's like it is unfair how low of a limit there is on like a positive to negative outcome Mm -hmm. ratio right yeah um where like even like you can you can imagine the real world person who like works for a big corporation and thinks that they're like the good guy that's like trying to you know um change affect change from within and they're doing that by pursuing good standing with their company and like that that's the route you played and you we like you saw how it ends right like right. you yeah. know there's there are there are trade offs to that it's it's not that that is like was inherently the wrong move it's that uh, every move that you could make has its trade-offs. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be surprised if there was any, and I don't know how many endings, like possible endings there are to the game, but I would be surprised if there was any of them that was that were presented as just like unilaterally sun- good, just sunshine and rainbows, <laughs> everybody lived happily ever after, and all injustice was eliminated. Right, exactly. I would be surprised if there was an ending like that. Yeah, um, I. it sounded like you got the closest to a really good ending because you did affect change. Androids did get their rights, but you pissed off a bunch of humans and this is, this conflict is going to continue. It's not like it's a happy ending and every, and the humans are all like, you know what? Those androids, they had a really good point and I'm, I changed my mind. Um, and Kronos is like, you know what? I've got some stuff to unpack. unpack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Really introspect on. Yeah. Um, and then if you go the totally opposite route and you go the way that ends the the cleanest for your character, which is probably to quell the uprising and just continue to do a good job for Kronos, that doesn't feel good either. No, you, and I'm sh- and I, based on the how the writing is throughout the game, I'm sure the writing would make you feel bad about it too. I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> Even though yeah. they, you know, probably drove, drive home the point that your character is fine. Yeah, so... This is, um, it's a really cool game and I actually like, this is not a huge surprise to me, but I'm coming out of this recording much more positive than I already was on the game. Uh, just hearing your experience and how it was different from mine and the ways that it was different from mine was really fucking cool. And so like I started this recording being like, this game's cool. Everyone should try it. It's a neat game. And then as we talk through our experiences and kind of work our way through it i'm like no actually this is really fucking good i think a lot of a lot more people should play this 
Yeah, I think I agree. And I think I, I'm I'm also coming out of like at, at, at when we when we're done here, when we hang up here, like my mind is revved up on this game more than it has been since <laughs> the day I finished it. Uh-huh. Uh, and um I would have I probably if you would have asked me earlier today if I was um ever gonna go back and and spend much time exploring some of the stuff I didn't uncover, I probably would have said no. Um and that's that's not this game. That's uh, I think, you know, I I like uh, when dialogue-heavy, narrative-driven games, even if they are structured in a way that closes off information to me uh, because of the choices I've made, um, makes me feel okay ending the game and, and putting it down and, like, leaves me without that compulsion to go back and, like, 100% it, right? Make sure I've seen every possible path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. And I still don't necessarily think I feel that way about this game. I'm not going to go back and, and crawl through it and to find everything. But, um, you know, I, I earlier today I was like, no, I'm pretty like content with Jet just being the story I got. And um, and I am. But I am also now suddenly much more curious about some about the way different ways things can unfold, because I'm, I'm starting to think that they are there are maybe a wider variety of them than I even realized or than I even yeah. assumed just having this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. The way that our two endings and our stories kind of were similar, but pretty different in a lot of ways makes me feel that if we brought in two other people into this recording, we would get two other pretty different experiences. And that's really cool. And I am cool with my story. And I appreciate a game that has the confidence to just be like, that's your story. That's how it ended. And I didn't start a new thing, but I wonder if you load it back up. If you load it, it will be like your story is over. Start a new story if you want a new story, but you're not going to like go in that last encounter and try to do it differently just to get a different ending. I don't think you can. I think I think the I think your ending is probably the result of of groundwork laid across the entire game. Yeah, which like is I cool. think maybe some of the some of the first and second act encounters you could probably play in isolation and, and explore different outcomes. But I think if you wanted to explore different outcomes of the entire game, you'd probably have to start from scratch. Yeah. And that's cool. It's, um, I agree. I would much rather have the game lay the groundwork from the first encounter that you think doesn't matter, but actually you are starting to, like you said, lay the groundwork for how your story is going to play out instead of you reach the 85% point in the game. And then they're like, all right, pick your ending. Right, exactly. <laughs> A or B. Yeah. So this has been awesome, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time again to uh, to talk about this with me. I appreciate you um, taking a chance on a game that you hadn't heard of and playing it. And I'm happy that you enjoyed it. And I'm really happy with how this conversation went. Yeah, man, it's been illuminating. And, and like I said, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to try it. I think it was uh, uh, so like so much better than than I could have hoped. Um, and you know, it's not that I was expecting anything bad anyway. Um, and it was just, it was so much fun. Um, I do want to call out, I briefly mentioned it, uh, because I was wrong about who you were talking about, but I do got to shout out my boy, R 1982, uh, I think encounter number five, maybe, um, he is a, he is a recall Android, uh, uh, and I think a very direct homage to Rick Deckard from, from Blade Runner. And in fact, <laughs> I only I only I wrote just in noted- notes Sam Decker. So <laughs> apparently I didn't remember <laughs> much about Blade Runner. <laughs> uh, I only just noticed uh this today as I was going back through this, but um 1982 is when Blade Runner came out. 
Uh, And I figure R could probably stand for anything. Rick, Ridley. Recall. Runner, recall. Yeah, replicant. Um, But... I think that's a that's a pretty funny little nod to to Blade Runner, but yeah, 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 man. Really uh, nice. Awesome conversation, awesome game, uh, great job. Uh, uh, Clockwork Bird is that what you said they were called? Clockwork yep. Bird. Clockwork Bird. Yeah, awesome, awesome game. Uh, totally worth the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, highly recommend. Yeah. So that'll be it for this episode, Scott. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you one last time to Clockwork Bird. Uh, for reaching out and giving us codes. Um, Really, really like this. So thank you everybody for listening. Stay tuned next week for the next game to come out of the backlog.